0: Aging Matters is sponsored in part by the Aging Life Care Association, an organization of aging life care professionals. Aging life care professionals offer guidance, advocacy, and support for older adults and their families in order to maximize quality of life. An aging life care professional can be there for your loved one when you can't be. More information about the Aging Life Care Association is available at www.midatlanticalca.org. Good afternoon and welcome to Aging Matters on Arlington Independent Media's community radio station, WERALP Arlington. FM. I'm Cheryl Beversdorf, your host. During the holidays, no matter how people celebrate or what their beliefs are, music is almost always an important part of the celebration. For older adults, singing Christmas carols and Christmas songs often brings back memories of childhood and recalls happy times spent with family members. Today, my guest is maestro Thomas Cullahan. Artistic director of the Washington Master Chorale, choral instructor for Nova Community College, and conductor of the Fairfax Choral Society Symphonic Chorus. Tom will talk about the history of Christmas carols and how they differ from Christmas songs. He'll also discuss the origins of some of the most famous carols and songs. Also, which ones are sung most often each year, and why music is universal throughout the Christmas season. So welcome, Tom Cullihan and thank you for joining me today.
1: Oh, thank you for having me, Cheryl. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Okay, well, let's get started in talking about carols. When speaking of Christmas carols,
1: what does the word carol mean? Well, it's interesting. It's such a great and fascinating topic, really. The word carol Uh, actually isn't particularly associated with Christmas. It simply means like a sort of joyous dance-like festive song to be sung on any festive occasion. Uh, So you have, there are all types of carols over the centuries, but particularly in the past, uh, that Easter carols, uh, any kind of song that um, is appropriate to an occasion and festive, that seems to be the sort of key element of it and dance like it literally means dance in a ring the 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 old word french is a french word carol scholars think it's sort of unclear where it comes from but it possibly from the latin coraula which literally means dance with a flute so very much a joyous dance like happy kind of festival type song. Um, and then it could be done for any number of occasions. Uh, think of like um, over the river and through the woods to grandmother's house we go. That is like a Thanksgiving carol. We don't think of it like that. We think of it as a, just basically like a Thanksgiving song, but that would qualify.
0: Okay. So when carols were heard, the reason for the celebration wasn't necessarily Christmas, it could be any kind of, of celebration?
1: Oh, yeah. So there's more... the. There were just all types of celebrations and uh, and all types of um holidays so really the there were a number this was primarily if when you sort of look into the research behind this the looking through christmas carols for example there was these large number of festivals around the winter solstice before this sort of connected to the history of christmas and you sort of sort of four common ones or famous ones, if you will, would be like the Roman Saturnalia Festival, um, which was a time of celebration. Basically, throughout the Northern Hemisphere, in both Asia and in Europe, uh, winter was approaching, or depending on how you look at it, the longest day of the year, the darkest night of the year, had arrived at the solstice. And so this was a time of, Basically, relief. There was celebration because everyone knew that the days were going to get longer. And so, this time of encroaching darkness and colder and darker was coming to an end. And also, there were a long period of cold months to follow. So, frequently, animals that were kept would be uh, slaughtered at this time. And for many populations, this was the only time of year where they had fresh meat. So the animals would be tended to all year, and then they would be slaughtered right at this time of year, so that then you would have the food for the winter months, and you wouldn't have to feed the animals during the winter months. So it's kind of... The other interesting thing is that all of the wine and beer that was sort of harvested and made during the year, it would take a long time to ferment, and it would generally be ready by around this time of year. So it's kind of the perfect time to have a big party, you know, wine and beer and Food and so this is kind of the beginnings of why this combined with uh, the the change of seasons and the celebration around that uh, in in Saturnalia the in that festival the Roman festival was less of a cold area region it was more Mediterranean that was more like a sun festival and that 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 festival had a kind of mardi gras carnival sort of you know raucous feel to it and actually that that is how the christmas celebrations started to become we can talk more about that in a little bit um but and and there's just two others kind of i wanted to mention there's this the chinese dongji festival which was huge in the asian basically throughout japanese chinese taiwanese culture like there in many cultures in the east same the same kind of idea and the notion of yin and yang and this idea that uh, the 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 interconnectedness of the natural world and how what seems like opposites, the darkness and the cold and then the light and the warmth, that those things are actually complementary. And then you see those themes appearing in the Christian tradition, this idea of light and darkness uh, and the idea of this arrival joy appearing in the middle of the night. So I think that's sort of fascinating.
0: I was wondering based on what you're saying and in the evolution of these carols were they considered religious songs or did that come a little bit later
1: Yeah well so as far as Christmas is concerned and the, what would ha- what happened initially was there were as far as we know like the oldest carol that we can that there's any sort of mention of with the theme of Christmas that's was dates all the way back to the year 172 and this there's a record of this angel's hymn but there's no tune and there's no manuscript and there's no there's just a mention of this hymn but that scholars tend to believe would be the first musical piece that had a theme based on the christian birth story right so you basically in the middle of all of this these Uh, celebrations the north there's roman saturnalia and the donji and all of this then christianity appears around this time so about two thousand years ago and this word christmas has to do with the mass that was celebrated basically it was the only time of year when the mass was allowed to be celebrated at night after sundown and so it was frequently done at midnight but that christmas literally means christ mass so you have the beginning of this idea of Christmas and it, its location or its timing starts to develop around all of these other traditions. So a bunch of elements of the Christian tradition, of the Christmas traditions, are sort of adapted from all these other traditions. There's another fascinating, for a long time, you so like in the Norse and the Scandinavian countries the the norsemen would bring at this time of year this huge logs that were gigantic and they would light them on fire to keep them everyone warm and it was part of this celebration and it would sometimes takes the take the log 12 days to burn so sort of interesting that now we have the 12 days of christmas is it a coincidence maybe maybe not sort of interesting and Yule Tide, this idea of Tide comes from this yule which is a a, a non-christian tradition so it's very interesting kind of how at this moment in time the christianity appeared and began the carols began to be sung and so initially there's not a lot of data about it except the formal old medieval hymns and these were chants like that the monks would were written down but basically the church used uh, gregorian chant and the texts were about the birth story and the birth narrative. And you really see that for the first well, almost a 1,000 years of that, right? There are other carols and so forth, but but whether or not Christianity basically doesn't spread from I- its initial origins, it, it doesn't quite get to England, say, until... Uh, well, it gets to Egypt first around 400 and then around... Around around four five hundred AD, it's it appears you start to see evidence of Christianity and Christmas being observed in England, but that's still you know five hundred years later. So you don't really start to see caroling or Christmas carols as we understand them until about eleven or twelve hundred.
0: And was there an any time when people were forbidden to sing carols?
1: Well, yes, that came a little bit later. So. So basically around 1200, Francis of Assisi, this European, Italian, you know, famous minister and monk, uh, he was famous for his connection to the earth and animals. And anybody who's known or studied anything about Assisi and Francis of Assisi knows that he was a great lover of nature. And so this is the first time that you see animals being introduced into the birth story, birth narrative. And then you start to see these carols Uh, and folk tunes, there were obviously, again, as I mentioned earlier, there were folk songs and tunes that developed and surely there were many, many, but we just don't know them because nothing was written down. But beginning around 1200, you start to see a mention of animals in these stories. And then you start to, this is where we eventually get, you know, commentary about the shepherds and the sheep and the ox and the ass and all of this, right? So this is kind of where the Christmas carol starts that we sort of think of now starts to take shape around 1200. And, uh, the, uh, and the, and the forbidding, what happens, what happened as far as the forbidding of the caroling is that, that, as I mentioned, these, these old festivals were raucous, you know, they were sort of bacchanalian in nature, and Christmas was no different. It became this very sort of raucous celebration. And there were these solemn hymns in the, in the church. But outside of the church it, during the Christmas season, it was generally this kind of carnival, Mardi Gras type atmosphere. And so the Puritans were actually the, the you sort of fast forward like 500 years. Oh, and I should mention that you st- the Boar's Head Carol is the first in about 1500, I think it's 1521, and we just sang it in the Master Chorale. It's the 500th birthday of the Boar's Head Carol. It was, uh, it was created, or, it, or first printed. So you have the Arrival of the printing press, and now carols can be more distributed. And the first printed carol, at least in Europe, is the Boar's Head Carol, which is interesting because it's about a feast and an animal. So, so this is kind of the beginning of that. Um, So, but at any rate, this this the Puritans were not having this. They did not like. All of this, you know, raucous behavior, and so they put a kibosh on it. it. Was Oliver Cromwell in England? That is, and that actually filtered over to the United States and the colonies, of course. Uh, and and Christmas was actually outlawed in Boston from like 1660 to like 1682. I had never, I did not know this until I was doing the reading. For it's a long interview. time. Yeah, about twenty years. <laughs> so so there was this period of time when Christmas was considered. You know not not something but at least by the church, right? So there was this the Puritan effort to to uh, suppress it. but it didn't last long at all. I mean in England it was only about 10 years in in America, it lasted about 20 to 30 years. Um, but then you know that passed. and the traditions returned these sort of folk traditions and the parties and so forth um, and the and the carols. But again, nothing is really written down. We don't start to see, any formal written down caroling uh, until about the 19th century, 18th and 19th century. That's when these the carols that we sort of know today start to really appear.
0: Well, and I want to now turn to the topic, uh, related topic that you, Tom, know best, and that's the role of carol singers, which as yes. I was preparing these questions, I noticed that they were also called weights, W-A-I-T-S. So, Talk about the role of carol singers. Was that formal? What
1: was the meaning of the term weight Yeah, the caroling as we know it now, we don't really, you see it in various forms, uh, and again, related not to um, Christmas per se. So there was this concept called souling, which was when the poor would go around on All Souls Day, and you might have heard the old a uh, uh, folk song, soul cake, and these cakes were things that were made and given to the poor as they would go around to uh, sort of um, uh, to invoke their ancestors. It was this this tradition grew up in the around the same period in the in the medieval and Renaissance period, and this eventually led to or is sort of linked. You know, much later down the road, to like Halloween and trick or treating. So this notion of going around from house to house and asking for some food or some some kind of gift or drink, and this is connected to caroling, where these Wassailers going around, and Wassail is this thick drink. It's like eggnog or was, and you know, same kind of idea. So the origins of caroling are a little bit murky, but we know that by the nineteenth century we get Christmas carolers in their traditional form where the, the carols have been started, the printing press has been invented by the 19th century. You have the carolers, you have the, the carols are starting to be written down and repeated. And now this tradition develops in the 19th century of going house to house. And these waits, that simply means, the, it's, it, it refers to the advent season, which is a season of waiting in the Christian tradition. So you're basically waiting for the coming of Jesus.
0: And the carolers are still going around the neighborhood today. I think that's still a common practice, maybe not so much during the pandemic, but it certainly was prior to that. Would you agree?
1: Oh, absolutely. America, fundamentally, interesting when you're doing all this reading, you know, America was established by England. So, so much of our traditions are rooted in English tradition, and certainly the traditions around the, the Christmas holiday, although there's some very interesting facts about the American Christmas and how it differs um but yes that 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 caroling is a, was a strong tradition and still uh even in the pandemic people have still I know that the master crowd we did a little bit of caroling uh we, you know we stood outside and we could still do it a little bit because uh, uh because it was outdoors
0: as long as you kept your masks on or didn't get that's too right. close and you continued to social distance so so i want to build on now the fact that we have uh, choirs or caroling and an establishment of orchestras and when and why did the establishment of orchestras and choirs begin as a way to sing Christmas songs?
1: Well, so that is connected really, again, the 19th century was sort of the transformative time where, uh, two major things happened. You see from the bigger perspective, you see the rise of music as, uh, as an art form itself classical music you have of course you continue to have popular music but previous to uh, the 19th century classical music essentially served either a monarch or the church this was sort of the two reasons that the music existed and was written down at least in the formal written down classical sense and as you get to the period of Beethoven and after, Beethoven was the first or one of the first to say, music this, this exists because it's just music and it's 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 an art form in its own right. I do not need the church. I do not need a monarch to tell me this is important. This is just important, period. So this is a big change for music history. And, uh, and after that, you, you continue to have, of course, popular music, but you see this explosion of classical music and, this, and, the, and also the creation of the orchestra, the modern orchestra, really developed in the 19th century. This coincides with large choral societies, which also rose in the 19th century. So all of these things together um, lead to uh, the, the rise of the Christmas carol. You start to see caroling happening a lot more, and the carols become very popular and enter the consciousness of the public. And then, as we shift over into the twentieth century, and commercialism starts to play a role, both sort of in classical and then popular music, um, orchestras begin to, in the it's in the twentieth century that you start to see, Orchestras arranging carols and choral groups arranging carols, and then we have this sort of the rise of what we would call the modern Christmas carol, and this would be lots of fine art music taking poetry and writing new carols, and this this really starts to happen with you know with with intensity in the twentieth century. That's kind of after the appearance of or- the classical music and, or- and orchestras and choral societies in the 19th century.
0: And I would add that in addition, there are now more carols services, and a part of that are the, the candlelight processional and recessional yes. as part of that yes. carol service. Uh, talk about, more about that. What, how did that come about? Because it seems like it's an addition.
1: Yeah, it's a wonderful edition. It, it, it really also began in the late 19th century, very late 19th century, 1870s. So it's sort of the, marks the first one that we have knowledge of. And it is an English, an Anglican tradition. So again, it looms large in the consciousness of Americans, certainly East Americans who live on the East Coast and and participate in choral music the um, the service of lessons and carols uh, it was very popular and then it actually became extremely popular in the 1960s because the BBC began to broadcast the, the King's College lessons and um, lessons and carols service so that became enormously popular and the was highly influential on the baby boom generation in America because the that generation was Growing up, and was in their sort of middle school and high school and college age when this began to appear, and so it had, and it was beautifully done. As far as the candlelight is concerned, I mean, it's really one of the finest. And and the service is basically they call it lessons and carols. It's a, a service that was created of basically a reading followed by a carol, followed by a reading followed by a carol. And caroling was so popular; it was really a wonderful idea. It created a a beautiful way to celebrate the holiday a very peaceful and, and um ceremonial way and as far as the candlelight that that fundamentally has to do with the central idea of light in darkness that this that is truly the central idea of the season uh, going all the way back to the solstice this notion of increasing darkness and then the light appearing and the light returning or the light coming through the darkness, and this Christian notion of the divinity coming down into the world and appearing in darkness—it's a very central idea, and it's connected back to this whole yin and yang, dark and light, the opposites—and you see that many in a lot of the Christian writing and in the hymns. And and that's one of the things that makes and we kind of kind of goes on to our and one of our it's it's a. It it what makes Christmas carols so interesting. They they are um, they have frequently this bit of sorrow in them. They're they're joyous, but they also have nostalgia and sorrow. We can talk a little bit more about that. It's a fascinating.
0: Well, and I might add that since I do sing in the Washington Master Chorale with you, Tom, and have sung in previous choirs. Um, that were that preceded the Washington Master Chorale and participated in those candlelight processional and recessional events. I have to say, I think it was it's so uh, inspirational for the singers, such as mm-hmm. myself, and I know for a fact that it's also very inspiring and uh, nostalgic for the audience as well to sit in that yes. quiet. Uh, atmosphere and see those uh, candles all around in whether it's an auditorium or a church or whatever. So
1: yes, yes, yes. It's a wonderful tradition.
0: Okay, well, we're going to take a short break right now. If you tuned in late, we're talking with Maestro Thomas Cullahan, Artistic Director with the Washington Master Chorale, and Thomas, also the conductor of the Fairfax Choral Society Symphonic Chorus. And you're listening to WERA Arlington 96.7 FM. We'll be right back. with Maestro Thomas Callahan, the Artistic Director with the Washington Master Chorale and also the conductor of the Fairfax Choral Society Symphonic Chorus. We've just had a wonderful discussion about the origin of carols before they were even known as Christmas carols and uh, leading up to where we are now in our modern times. So, Tom, let's start talking specifically about those Christmas carols. What what are the old? You mentioned a little bit earlier in the in before the break about the Boar's Head Carol, which is now um, is now five hundred years old. But are there other older Christmas carols? And where were they written? Are they still sung today? Uh, talk a little bit more about uh, about those.
1: Yes, so so really, the the combination we we talked a little earlier about the old ancient Gregorian chants in the Catholic Church and in and in the Anglican Church, but but in the ancient time, the Catholic Church, and and those sort of Christmas hymns, if you will, and if you're and so really, you, it's slightly different from a carol uh, in that um, the, the the it has that solemn nature and. If, if you're sort of thinking about the oldest carol, probably it's of the father's love begotten. That tune, that is an ancient, let's say Christmas hymn that is dates from around 400 AD. So that's probably technically the oldest quote-unquote Christmas carol, but it's really, I would say, a hymn. And this terminology, really, you know, people use different terms. In terms of carols, the way we think of them now with the, around the birth narrative, Christmas carols, again, the Boar's Head Carol is the oldest printed carol from 500 years ago. And then you get uh, carols like, um, really, we sang one in the in Master Crow, the Le Somme. L'enfant Jesus, the sleep of the slumber of the infant Jesus, that seems to date from around 1300. O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, the text is from the 8th century. So these, some of these are the ones that we still sing that are very old. O Come, O Ye Faithful, the, that seems to date from very early. So a couple of these carols are very old, at least in their text. And then frequently what you have is as I mentioned, these dance tunes and folk tunes that and who knows, we don't have any record of what, what words were sung and in various languages, you know, over the centuries. But eventually these old folk tunes were fused with religious words related to Chris, the Christian birth narrative. And then these were the tunes that became extremely popular in the 19th century and now are sort of part of the tradition now, kind of innate. It seems like they're very – all of them are very, very old. But in fact, most of the carols that we sing now are about 200 years old from the 19th century.
0: And would you say, Tom, since we're in you know the year 2021, 20, is there a real specific difference between – traditional and modern carols. I'm, I'm wondering, are modern carols still being written? And do they have a different text? Do they have a different uh, melody? How do they differ than some of these, which you just described, that are so very, very old?
1: Well, certainly, the in the modern time now, if you think about it, there's sort of two, I would say, there are two periods of real, of modern Christmas songs right and this is sort of different from the carols and the principal difference cheryl would be sort of the secular texts versus these christian texts so basically in the 20th century you begin to see the advent of christmas songs and the, some of the most famous ones written in the 20th century are white christmas have yourself a merry little christmas um, jolly old saint nicholas and then uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, uh, Frosty the Snowman. So, And a- another thing to remember, and this is very interesting, there was another holiday way back 2,000 years ago, at the same time in the Roman period as Saturnalia. This holiday, at the same time as Saturnalia, was called Juvenalia. and It was basically a holiday to celebrate children. So it's interesting that the, that children feature so strongly now in... In contemporary, in, all the way up to now, 2000 years later, that, that ch- gifts and children are a big part of Christmas. And this is part of why the carols stick with us and why we love them so much. Because what part of what has come about is singing with children. They were sung to us when we were all children. And they, so there, so this this importance of childhood as it relates to Christmas has to do with why these songs mean so much to everyone. Because of the family, the family and friends drawing close together and using these songs and the corporate singing, we all remember these things. If you participated in a Christmas tradition, um, you sang these songs and they attach back to your early childhood uh, and memories of being close to the family, which everyone wants to feel. Uh, at least, everyone wants to feel a sense of belonging. It's like the nature of being human, to belong. And so whether it was your family or your friends, but these carols tend to evoke that. Um, so. In the 20th century we get these more popular songs actually rudolph was written for a montgomery ward it was a advertising for for, for, a, for a for a department store right and then in the last 30 or 40 years you have a whole other set of songs and these would start with like santa baby and blue christmas and uh, Mariah Carey's "All I Want for Christmas Is You," and there's a, numerous others. There's a, an interesting playlist on Spotify. You can go look and see kind of what Spotify calls the top twenty-five Christmas songs, and there, there, a few of them are the Christian ones, uh, but th- th- that have sort of bled through. But many, many are um, are the uh, you know the more contemporary secular um, songs.
0: Even like I saw mommy kissing Santa Claus.
1: Exactly. You've got I saw mommy kissing Santa Claus, and um, you know there's when you know when I I can take a quick look at the list. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Right. It's the most wonderful time of year. Jingle bell rock, rocking around the Christmas tree. And these are very famous songs now. Let it snow, let it snow. so, so the, these songs have entered into the popular culture. Many were written around the World War II time. And then some, with the exception of a few, there's, there's also some newer carols, like, for example, Mariah Carey. It takes a while for a song to enter the tradition and be sung a lot. Um, but, and that's sort of an interesting thing about the Mariah Carey song. It's probably the most recent all I Want for Christmas is You, if it's played enough and people sing it enough, then it really does start to enter into the tradition as a as a song that everyone can sing along to.
0: And I want to talk a little bit more about that in a minute, but I just wanted to step back for a second in connection with your talking. You mentioned earlier about a French carol or uh, English carols and that. Are Christmas carols as popular in other countries as, say, uh, what we have here? Um, and are there other Christmas uh, carols that are sung maybe the same ones that we have or different ones in other cultures? What what, what do we know about that? What do you know about
1: that? Uh, oh, yes. Well, I mean, there's there, Christmas and Christianity, of course, has spread all, all over the world. Uh, it represents about 30% of the world population. So about 70% of the world population adheres to either other religions, but about 30% of the world population adheres to Christianity. And and so – but, but that 30% is spread pretty evenly across the whole world. So you do have this enormous variety of Christmas songs from all over the world that are um, – that uh, you can pick any number of of um, of cultures, uh, you know. The, the perhaps the most famous, at least in America, Feliz Navidad is, of course, in Latin America, one of the most famous Christmas carols. That's in Spanish, um, but there are many others. Uh, Scandinavian songs. The in the Asian cultures, uh, there's primarily been a translation of Western music uh, into basically so basically the traditional european carols are translated into chinese and japanese and so so you see it that way but basically every world every country on earth has some form of christmas carol but many times the most famous ones like silent night and deck the hall these have been translated into languages all over the world because of the way that colonialism spread across the world and Christianity spread across the world. There is a similar tie because the caroling and Christmas traditions developed around the same time as colonialism. So there's sort of a link there.
0: And the one thing that also strikes me, you gave examples of more secular Christmas songs and and we're going to talk about some more Christmas carols, but when I was looking for the questions that I would ask you, I was struck by the term Christmassy. And I wondered, yeah. you as a, uh, a a musician and so familiar with so di- many different kinds of music, what makes Christmas music sound so Christmassy, yes, uh, if I can yes. use that
1: term? Yes, yes. Well, there's a good article in the Classic FM about this. It makes several good points. And But, and I think it really, there's sort of three elements to it. Um, One is there has to be a good melody from the musical elements. There has to be a good melody, like a memorable tune and that, and that that's sort of key for any sort of popular song. But then this interesting element of, of a text that is about nostalgia, thinking about the past longing to be with your loved ones or longing to be either the the joy of being with the loved ones or the longing to be if you're not with the loved ones. This is such a deeply human need. And then connected to that would be the minor keys. So there's usually some kind of minor key or there's some diminished chords or dissonance is often introduced in a Christmas carol briefly before returning to consonance and joy and peace. So that is actually one of the key elements that sort of runs through a lot of Christmas songs, both modern and, you know, even Rudolph, he, you know, his friends are making fun of him. There's like a, there's like a, a negative or sorrowful element that then gets resolved. So this is a very interesting, it kind of runs throughout all of these um, all of these Christmas carols. Um, and 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 this is really what, this is kind of, these three things, having a good melody, having a little bit of mournful, minor key dissonance, and then this sort of nostalgia and remembering the past and longing to be with friends you love. These are the kind of elements that make a, a Christmas song a hit, if you will, it sticks over the centuries.
0: And would you say, Tom, that American Christmas music, uh is given all of these various uh traits that you just talked about uh, is is it different than in most countries and how talk more about how American Christmas music is promoted here on radio and television and film is that different say here than maybe in other countries
1: well I would say that in general the christmas uh, on radio and television is is um Profitable, right? So this is obviously a a holiday that is that is useful in in terms of certainly the capitalist societies all over the world. And and so and in general, because Christmas fundamentally started as a European and Western holiday, but has been exported all over the world. Both the religion was exported all over the world through colonialism, but also the music itself. And Western music generally has been exported all over the world with colonialism. So you see two two strains of that. First 19th century European classical music gets exported all over the world. And then in the 20th century, American commercial music is exported all over the world. So now all of these styles have been completely integrated into other cultures. And you can listen and hear elements of... uh, you can hear all of these modern songs translated into other languages and then, yes, produced and reproduced and re- rearranged all over the world for all kinds of purposes. It's absolutely true. Um, and it, it brings a lot of joy. It's very interesting in In China, for example, the the... The holiday tends to be like treated as like a Valentine's Day type holiday. And Santa comes around and the elves are all um, young women. And so it's like, and it's called Santa and his sisters, basically. And lots of young, it's a time in China's Chinese culture when young people go on dates and it's kind of romantic. Uh, So it's slightly different from like the Chinese New Year, which comes a little bit later and is sort of more important culturally to the Chinese. So Christmas in that way becomes Somewhat like St. Patrick's Day here for in the United States, it's like a time for you know funny hats and a few, but not 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 so central to the culture, if, if that makes sense. So it's very interesting how that works. But in all of those cases, the Christmas songs, you know, are, are being the carols are being used, you know, in every language, in every culture, and filtered filtered through that culture's own music.
0: The other thing that strikes me, and you know, since aging matters is about older adults and, and targeted to that audience and their families. The one thing that strikes me is is that people are more likely to know the words to all these Christmas songs, and they can sing them when they hear them on radio or television or, or see them in a film. Would you agree? Why do you think that's, that's the case?
1: Oh, that's kind of a simple answer, actually, and it's repetition. People learn by repetition. And the Christmas canon, the set of Christmas songs that we know, uh, it's the only set of songs that we sing every single year. And we specifically, we learned them when we were children, which is also a time of strong neurological development. So it is. there's no wonder that because we learned them when we were children, we sang them when we were children, and we repeat them over and over and over again throughout our lives, we know all the words. It's, It's kind of the main reason. Plus, uh well that's kind of, that's certainly the main reason everyone knows the words.
0: Well, I wanted to spend the rest of the this interview talking about uh the Christmas carols that are considered the greatest of all time. You mm-hmm. you mentioned up a little bit earlier and there are probably so many different lists, but to in the work that you've done and and studied which ones are the, are considered the greatest of all time and and how is that distinction Determined?
1: Well, you know, this is highly subjective, right? Uh, in terms of the greatest of all time, it really ends up being a combination of simplicity and popularity, uh, good construction. So the f- most famous Christmas songs tend to be well constructed with a good melody, a good text that's simple but well written and has a simple message to understand and generally um, these this combination of things leads to a memorable carol and it goes also back to childhood and these it what's interesting about this about the greatest Christmas carols of all time is that they are both religious and non-religious there's a sort of intersection so it doesn't seem to have to do with religion. It has more to do, or not religion. It has more to do with um, how, the, how well the song is made. And also, I do think this link between childhood and what, what a song that a child can sing and enjoy and understand. And so if the song is simple enough but profound, that's pretty much, I think, the distinction, a combination of learning something that a child can learn but is profound in its meaning and also well written in its in its musical form
0: well i would be remiss if i didn't ask you about silent night because i think that is really the the carol that we hear about the most and in fact in again as i was preparing these questions i read that silent night is the most recorded of all Christmas carols. And, and why Why is that, Tom?
1: Well, the th- interesting story about Silent Night, it's kind of necessity is the mother of invention. It's kind of the essence of the story in that this little church in Germany uh, was near a, a small river and suffered from flooding a lot. And so this this church would flood frequently. And the, the evening that this Christmas carol was written, the organ was damaged by the flooding and so the priest of uh, the the little local priest he had written this poem and there's two sort of elements there were the the napoleonic wars had occurred or had just occurred and but had come to an end and the priest had taken a walk in the middle of the night through this white uh, snow-covered stillness and we all if you've ever spent time outside in the snow at night you know know how truly quiet it is it's one of the most quiet places you can be on earth is outdoors after snow like in in a country in a rural setting and this poem was inspired by this this priest took this walk and came back and wrote the words silent night holy night this stille nacht, literally still stillness and then because the organ was broken uh gruber the composer he was the local parish organist and choir master he was the music director for this church he he simply wrote it on the guitar he used a and he he composed a simple melody and it is this melody is so simple and so beautiful um the it it was really that combination of the forced simplicity and i would say but the nature of the circumstance created this elegant simple carol and then there was a by coincidence uh there was an organist who really liked it and took it kind of a few towns over and then shortly after that two sort of traveling minstrel shows or rather i'm sorry um let's take that out that's not what it was two Traveling families, singing families, um, started incorporating Silent Night into their traveling show, and so they started traveling around and singing this. And its popularity spread very quickly. There's evidence of it being sung in New York City, like ten years later. So, so there were these a few elements that caused this carol to spread. But I think it's absolutely I agree with you, Cheryl. It's striking that this uh, this simple, beautiful carol has become so popular. And I think it's pretty profound that the most famous and most recorded Christmas carol is about silence.
0: Certainly something that we need nowadays more than ever. It's true. The other song that I wanted to ask you about, because I think people hear about it, there's so many, and we don't have time for that. But briefly tell us about the history of 12 days of Christmas. And were these gifts that were mentioned in each of the verses actually symbols of something else. Uh, tell us about that.
1: Well there's a lot of sort of speculation about that. And uh but really the Twelve Days of Christmas, it's appears for the very first time in a children's book um uh, called Mirth Without Mischief. Uh, it was in in England, but it's referencing a French king and uh sort of songs from a French king celebration. And it is very likely a childhood, what was called a memory and forfeit game, which is very much like, oh, you have to remember all the lists, like it's kind of a game. And if you don't remember, if you forget, if you mess up the list, then there's some kind of forfeit. So this is these are very common games in the 17th, 18th, and 19th century. And the birds and all of the many, many birds in the first part of it. So it really very likely is simply a children's song. And it... Uh, Again, that's a classic example of a carol where there's animals mentioned, and it's sort of fun and memorable and festive. And yes, there has been speculation that these words mean something else, and it's possible that um, various, that the Christian religion was, people have speculated about meaning, but there really is no evidence that it is anything more than a simple carol, as as it is, you know, just a fun, lighthearted carol with... Uh, with no sort of behind meaning behind it.
0: Well, one thing I I wanted to ask you before my last question is that, is there any reason why Christmas carols and songs aren't sung other times during the year, that it's so specific?
1: Yeah, I think it's mostly association. In other words, that that we remember uh, and use them at a particular time of year, and we associate that time of year uh, with – you know, certain things, food and family and all of this. And so there's something about doing them not at that time of year that um, I know there's a, I don't know, I think the word is tradition. It has to do with why we honor traditions. Um, it's, it's a little bit of a human psychology there. I think it's sort of an interesting point why we don't do it, but I, it's something, it doesn't seem to resonate. Like in the summertime, we don't want to sing a Christmas carol, right, for some reason but we want to wait till Christmas. There, Perhaps it has to do with its specialness and keeping it special. Uh, there's sort of something about that, cherishing it and putting it, you know, only using it at a certain time of year to keep it in a cherished position. That might be subconscious, I'm just speculating <laughs> about that.
0: Well, and then the final question, Tom, is given the fact that we've been and are still in this pandemic. And last year, we could hardly do anything. And the good news is we've had a chance for to have uh, performances of, of Christmas music. In your view, why has it been so important for choirs and people to sing together again this year, even if we had to wear masks?
1: Well, I think that really goes to corporate singing overall. Corporate singing, by that I mean singing as a corporate body as one body you know the the idea of sing along and singing together is something that we do we're doing less and less in modern life although you still see it in popular rock concerts and so forth there is an innate human need an innate desire to be a part of a community to be connected and when you sing your your voice creates vibration in the air And your vibrating air joins other voices who's creating the vibrating air and everyone is there's a literal feeling of good vibration a good a a deep connection a deep sense of belonging that happens when people sing together and i think it's so innate and so important that people long for it and christmas caroling is one of the final things that we all still do we're all still willing to sing and the songs we all basically know so it's one of the last things in sort of general in the general culture that people share and we're desperate to gather together and have something that we can all share and celebrate and enjoy and and that's why we do it and that we must do it. Even masks or no masks is sort of irrelevant because we have to do this corporate singing. We have to sing together and celebrate our common bond and the joy of family and home and hearth and friendship, loved ones, human connection, and the sense of light in the darkness, this idea that we can be, that the darkness actually leads to light, that it reveals light. We cannot see light without darkness. And so this this is what the, the carols kind of teach us. And I think that's why we do it. That's why we have to do it year after year, no matter the circumstance.
0: Well said, Tom. And I wanna thank you, Maestro Thomas Cullihan, artistic director with the Washington Master Corral, and also the conductor of the Fairfax Choral Society Symphonic Chorus, for joining me today. Now, if you want to learn about Aging Matters, you can visit our website, which is agingmattersonline.com. And there you can access all the Aging Matters radio and TV show content and also the Aging Matters podcasts, which are posted on Apple and Spotify. Aging Matters is produced in association with Ink Mouth Media. And to learn more about that company, visit InkMouthMedia.com. Thank you for listening to Aging Matters today. And I want to wish all Aging Matters listeners a very, very Merry Christmas to all of you and to your family. Please stay safe and healthy and enjoy a very wonderful Christmas together. And always remember, age is just a number, not a label. I'll be back again with you next week.